Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Kirby Horton. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Kirby Horton is the co-chief executive officer at The Firm. With 30-plus years experience in the insurance business and 16 years experience in manufactured housing, buying, selling, and operating mobile home parks, primarily in the southeastern United States. The firm is based in Franklin, Tennessee. Kerbin, we are excited to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Very excited to be here and enjoy following your podcast and enjoyed meeting and visiting with you last week at SECO. Yes, SECO was an awesome conference. It was great to, to put faces with a lot of names that I've you know, heard, and, and, and it was awesome to meet you in person and have breakfast. Kirby, would you mind telling us your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing? Well, Andrew, you know, like most of us, you know, it's a, it was a very serendipitous route. Um, you know, I didn't go to school to, be, to get into the mobile home park business. Like you said, I spent a, a long career in the insurance industry, employee benefits in particular, pension plans, group health insurance. And then probably 15, 16 years ago, recognized that you know I needed to transition into something else that I had a more control over, something to build equity, and something that, quite frankly, you know, was more fun. So I started looking. I'm a voracious reader, a sponge for knowledge, doing a lot of research, and came across a book that referred to this guy in the Carolinas by the name of Lonnie Scruggs. So I read that chapter about Lonnie Scruggs two or three times, put it down, came back a few months later and read it a few, a few more times. And I just really was, you know, infatuated with his business model. You know, I, I think the guy, you know, was a genius in that regard. And so taking his model in our small town of Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of, of Nashville, there was a large mobile home park there. And I had no idea of what I was doing other than, you know, no fear. I had nothing to lose. So I went in and cold called on the uh, park manager and just basically said, you know, I would like to buy your vacant homes. I didn't even know if they were called park-owned homes or tenant-owned homes. I didn't even know if he had any. I just said, I want to buy your, your vacant homes. And he said, okay, well, let me take you over here and show you one. And it was number 13. I remember that you know, to this day, and my wife and I joke about number 13, there's a two bedroom, one bath, POS. And it was just, it was, it, Andrew, it was horrible. So I paid him $800 for it and found out much later that I way overpaid. And um, so I, <laughs> and I when paid was him $800. That, Gosh, what Andrew, that, that would have been 16 years ago. So uh -huh. what's the math there? 16, maybe 17 years ago. So, so we bought it and. Um, Started working on it slowly, uh, doing the rehab, you know, cleaning first of all, 
cleaning everything out, assessing what needed to be done, got it up to where it was move-in ready, advertised it on Craigslist, had no problems whatsoever in unloading it. Had somebody immediately, I didn't do any background checks at the time, didn't think about it. Basically, she came to me with the money and the need, and we had the, the product and the need to fill it. So we got her filled up and my business, and then went back to the park manager and asked him if I could have a second one and did the same thing there, you know, rinse and repeat and third one, the fourth one. And, um, and eventually, you know, became de developing a, um, a model that I stuck with, you know, I followed Lonnie to begin with and imputed an interest rate and did this and did that. But eventually it came to my attention, you know, most of our customers were Latino and keep it simple is incredibly important. So what we basically did was we ended up purchasing these homes, if not outright getting them for free. You know, we would put a few thousand dollars in it and, and basically we would rent, we would sell them for two or three thousand dollars down, uh, two fifty a month for four years. And we did that on on every home. And at a certain point, we were up to about 80. I think maybe about 80 homes in total that we were, that we had uh, under contract. And finally, one day I, I went to my wife and I just said, you know, we need to own the dirt. We need to be in the park business because they always get their lot rent first. Nice. You know, they're first in line. So um, and then the other thing that that concerned me was I didn't want to be tied to that mobile home park the first week of every month, collecting rent, walking around with tens of thousands of dollars of lot rent money in my pocket. You know, it's not that safe. So we incorporated and we we let those, we we transitioned into rent manager. We used pay lease for rent collection. So I, I got away from the problem of having to be in the park every month collecting rent. So that helped a lot. And then started looking for opportunities to purchase parks found one down in Warner Robins, Georgia, which is just south of Macon, Georgia, and purchased it and learned a lot, paid my tuition, lost about $70,000 on the deal before we sold it, but learned so much more than that and never looked back and just kept going. And today, I think we've, uh, we've been involved uh, in probably 100 or so uh, manufactured home communities and just love the business. Wow. What a story, Kirby. Like, congratulations on your success. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. I, I think uh, you and I sort of had the same start, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Started as a Lonnie dealer. I mean, I can only imagine 80 homes and the operation that you had going. That is something <laughs> fantastic. I got up to about 20 and detoured into to parks. I, I ran into a park owner and he kind of took me under his wing. But I mean, you must have had it. Were, were all of those 80 in that same park? Well. About 30 of them were, Andrew. And then the, the thing is, is that the owner of that park was an institutional owner. Mm. And so they came to me after about 30 of them. And, and they said, you know, we do have a few other parks down in the Atlanta market. And we have a, a major vacancy problem with, with a lot of vacant homes. Would you be willing to expand your operation and go down there? We can actually give you the homes and, and plus several months of free lot rent you know, while you're rehabbing them and, and then flipping those homes. So we did the same thing down there. The little difference down there was we we shortened the uh, 
the 48-month payment period and uh, got more cash up front for the sale of the home. That's fantastic. That is, And so you know cool. what, Andrew? I, ironically, you know, the, the park manager from way back when is actually one of our star performers today. I ended up hiring him and, and he's on our, Alan is, is his name, and he's on our team today and has been for probably 10 or 12 years. That is so cool. And that's one thing I remembered from when we had breakfast is you said that a lot of your employees have been with you, you know, 10 plus years. Would you mind touching on that and, and kind of just giving some insight into your culture and, and how you've been able to have such a high retention rate? Absolutely. It is a, a team effort. And I know that that gets bandied around a lot, but this is truly the case. It's, it's not a one person show. I mean, this team, we think very highly of them. They are best in class, no doubt about it. I would gladly put my team up against anybody else's team in competition and feel very confident about it. They're just really good people. We've never advertised for, now we have advertised for park managers, you know, when we take mm-hmm. over a community. But other than that, we've never advertised for corporate employees. We've always gone out, you know, we hired them from, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. We've hired them from other parks. We've hired them from experiences that we've had in other industries. So, you know, these people were not looking for a job. We came and found them and sought them. And we've empowered them to to basically be the best that they can be and to join us in our mission to build better communities. And they've stepped up to the challenge and, and that kudos to them, you know. They're a great team. Yeah, that's awesome. How many team members are you up to now? Well, right now, our core corporate group, which is not assigned to any one particular park, I think is about 12. Um, And then in total on payroll, which includes the maintenance people, the community managers, leasing Mm -hmm. agents, all of that, I think we're, we're bumping up against 50 total employees on payroll. Okay. And I know we were talking a little bit about like, you know, property management and infill project management, you know, that's like your core, you're, you're the elbow grease, you're, you're putting in the work, you're handling heavy infill projects. Maybe you can touch on that and, and, uh, you know, maybe talk about what you think is the toughest hurdle for most people to overcome in mobile home park ownership and investing. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, in terms of the acquisition and acquiring the mobile home park, maybe expanding the park, it's the NIMBY effect, you know, not in my backyard. You know, um, nobody wants, you know, a mobile home park that they drive past every day on their way to work. Your community leaders, you know, they give lip service to affordable housing, but that, you know, manufactured housing is not on the short list of solutions to the problem, you know, from the community leaders. Your planning people, I, I swear, Andrew, there's got to be a course in college for community planning that is anti-manufactured housing. <laughs> it just seems like across yeah. the board, you know, most they don't like uh, us. community they don't planners, like us. you know, they cannot stand. And, and, you know, it took me a while to understand. I finally got through with a, a, a planner in the, the church that we go to. The county planner explained it to me. He said, you know, Kirby, he goes, if you look, he said, it's purely numbers. It's dollars and cents. You know, the tax revenue that we get from that 23 acres of manufactured housing does not offset the resources that we have to spend in subsidized lunch and breakfast at the school, 
the extra expense of law enforcement uh, being deployed to the community. The, you know, it's just so I do understand to a degree the dollars and cents piece of it. Manufactured housing generally ends up costing the community more than they receive, you know, in, in, in tax, tax revenues. revenues. Right. Yeah. So I, I do understand that. However, there, as we all know, I'm preaching to the choir. There's an incredible need for affordable housing. And I'm a true believer, a true believer that, you know, manufactured housing is the best solution. Um, for affordable housing. I mean, you know, if you want to Amen, buy a vehicle, brother. if you want to buy a vehicle today, you don't go out behind somebody's barn and buy one that they manufactured behind the barn, you know, one piece at a time. You know, you buy an automobile that was manufactured in a factory efficiently and um, affordably. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a huge fan of affordable housing as well and I think what we're providing and what you're doing in filling, you know, because there's all these vacant lots, right? That are missed opportunities for, you know, service workers that we desperately need. So maybe you can touch on that a little bit, your infill strategy, your project management, and and what mm -hmm. all goes into that. Yeah. One of the things, Andrew, that we have really picked up on here recently is the municipalities are starting to steer, at least here in the Southeast, they're starting to steer into third-party solutions for inspections and for code enforcement, you know, where before you would have county employees or city employees being your inspector and being your code enforcement. What we're starting to see in some of these counties is that they're outsourcing the inspections and um, code enforcement to third parties. So we'll go into a community and, and this becomes very problematic. You know, we'll go into a community and develop an incredible relationship with the local people and think that we're doing everything exactly the way they want because of, you know, early communication with them and because that's the way we've always done it. And then it comes down to the final inspection. And then this third party comes in that's not even from the area and they have a, a different, you know, criteria for passing the homes and giving us a CO. So we're starting to see a trend in that, in that area. We, of course, like everybody else suffered from the supply chain, you know, issues, um, you know, that hurt tremendously. We ended up trying to warehouse and, and buy in, in bulk air conditioner, you know, two ton air conditioners, three ton air conditioners skirting by the truckload. You know, we tried to stockpile what we could when we could get it and where we could find it. And then just, you know, be our basically be our own warehousing logistics company until and, and I think the, it's important uh, to add. Yeah, sorry. I think it's important to add color, you know, on the scale of your operation, right? Like how many infill homes did you bring in last year with with the firm? In 2022, a little bit over 500. Over 500 homes, right? And over 500 and new homes, right? Brand new homes from brand the factory. You're doing yeah. the concrete work. You're doing the setup. You're overseeing all of that, right? And we're also doing the the infill, the marketing and and filling the homes with families. Filling it with families. That's right. Right. So I mean, that's an incredible operation for for 12 corporate, you know, corporate yeah. employees to to undertake. So I mean, yeah, shed some light on that. What what can what can we learn about that process? How are you managing that? Because that is incredible. I mean, I don't I don't right. know any other groups that did, you know, over 500. Well, Andrew, you know, it's it again. 
uh, you know, don't use the word I, you know, the, it's a team effort. You know, you know, for instance, last September in North Carolina, you know, we had one community, well, one area that consisted of four different communities that received roughly 130 homes in one month. Wow. And one it, month. it's just, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. We have a protocol. We have documentation that has to be performed by our employees that are on the ground. Whenever a home comes in, it's important to coordinate with the factory and with the drivers. I can't, you know, the drivers are, are very, everybody is important in the process. The drivers are important. You know, you receive the home. They, they've been driving all day. They just want to unhook and get on the road and try to get back home. Um, but we hold them, you know, hold their feet to the ground. We want to take pictures. We want to make sure that the VIN on the home matches the documentation inside the home. And then we've got to make sure that the insurance company, same day, within a couple of hours, has received the information to insure the home because we cannot go to bed that night and, and leave that home just sitting there uninsured. So, you know, some of our employees, you know, they're going to be working upwards to, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock in the evening when these homes are coming in taking pictures, doing the documentation, filling out the paperwork, making sure that it gets to the insurance company and, and where it needs to be. And then, you know, after that's done, then we start looking at putting it on the lot where the lot has been prepped. You know, we've prepped it if we had to put footers in or piers or foundations, we've done that. You know, once we've got the lot ready, the home goes on. And then, you know, then it's just, you know, over and over the same thing, rinse and repeat. Yeah, rinse you know. and repeat. Yeah, block, set, you know, tie down, uh, plumbing, electrical, AC, skirting, decks, clean the inside, sweep, mop, let the community manager inspect it, and then turn the keys over to them after we have the CO. Yeah, so again, though, it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. You know, um, sure. a lot of this is happening. It's always happening without me being there usually. You know, we have yeah. such a dedicated, you know, loyal team to do it. Yeah. So it seems like you're, I mean, it's obvious your strategy is very value add, right? You're infilling to, you know, fill vacant lots. Do you feel like that's the best strategy right now within mobile home park investing? And, you know, given higher interest rates, how are you guys countering that, you know, with the, the, the interest rates you're paying on the, the homes you're bringing in? Are you renting a lot of these? Are you selling a lot of these brand new homes? How does that all play into where the uh, economy is at? Renting is, is our key. We have successfully failed at selling homes. We have not done a good job of, of selling homes inside the communities. We do an incredible job of, of renting and infilling. I think our average, you know, we're running less than 30 days from the time the wheels hit the property to the time it's occupied by somebody. Less than 30 days. Um, less than 30 days. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, you, I, oh my goodness. The, yeah, the amount. It, and you said 147 in that, that one little cohort. I think it was 130. Month. I think it was 131. In a um, single month. Wow. But now that's, that's the average. That's the average, Andrew. You know, sometimes we get, you know, sometimes we get um, stymied and, and there's issues and problems that, that, that can affect it. And, you know, whether it's trying weather. to obtain the CO or the weather yeah. or, supply chain, you know, issues. Um, there's always, you know, those kinds of issues. But, you know, we typically will average about 30 days to get a home occupied. Our marketing team, 
I think we have about five people dedicated to marketing. And that team right there, uh, they start marketing before the homes even arrive. Mm. Um, you know, we do video, we do walkthroughs from previous homes. That's one of the advantages of, of using the same manufacturer and the same model of home is that you can do um, a lot of pre-marketing before the, the homes even arrive in the community. Wow. That is such an awesome operation. I love it. And I know you said your strategy is, hey, we buy these huge infill projects, we fill them up, get them rented, and then you exit, right? You're selling uh, right when they're filled up and moving on to the next project. Is that? Right. Yep. That's right. Yep. There's wow. a few, there, Andrew, there's a few that we've kept, you know, longer term, especially as cap rates have, you know, risen significantly. You know, we know that these communities, there's an intrinsic value there, that they're, they're worth more than the market is giving credit for based on interest rates and, and they're good assets and they're cash flowing. So we'll just hold on to them until the, the, the cap rates compress again and come back down and then, um, then probably exit at that time. Fantastic. Fantastic. What an awesome model. Uh, I know Kirby, you, you mentioned some mistakes that you've made, uh, you know, on your first park, you said you lost $70,000, you know, what happened there? And then maybe you can share just some other common mistakes that, uh, you know, maybe you've made and you've learned from mm -hmm. that, that we can all learn from. Yeah. The first part definitely was just ignorance, not knowing, you know, thinking that, you know, because we had done so many Lonnie deals, thinking that we knew how to do the deals and, and then realizing that, you know, being a Lonnie dealer and being a park owner is, a, is significantly different. We didn't research the market well enough. We saw an opportunity as a Lonnie dealer to go in and rehab homes and, and unload them. Uh, but we didn't look at the uh, regulatory issues in that community. We didn't look at the, the infrastructure close enough at all, really. I mean, if, if there's a mistake to be made, we made it. I'm just very, we're very fortunate that we exited with just a $70,000 loss. And, uh, but we learned a lot, you know, we paid our tuition and we never looked back. We never gave up. Yeah, no, that's what's most important. Any other items that, you know, you've learned from, you know, like utility infrastructures or any tips for other people looking to buy parks that you'd give on, on that? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the jewel that everybody's looking for is the, the direct bill utilities. You know, I thought early on that I would steer away from well water. And now we've we've probably got a half a dozen parks that are on well water. You know, I swore early on that we'd steer away from lagoons and wastewater treatment plants. And now we probably have a half a dozen properties, you know, on on lagoons and or wastewater treatment plants. It's just important, I think, to to understand what your plan B and plan C is. If plan A fails, you know. What is the cost of remedy for plan B and plan C? And if the cost for plan B and C is, is stomach churning and, and, and bothersome, then I think you probably need to, to pass on the deal. Uh, on the other hand, if it's, if it's a relatively, and, and I use the word relatively, inexpensive fix um, to convert from the well to city water, you might be able to take advantage of the fact that nobody else wants well water. Uh, same thing with wastewater treatment, same thing with a lagoon. Septic tanks, you know, those are daily things. I, septic tanks are shouldn't cause any problems to anybody. And a lagoon is not not much more than a septic tank with the lid off. <laughs> you know, so but again, I think just understanding what your plan B is 
and and plan C. Um, yeah. Make sure you understand all the risks that are out there. That's great. And how did you learn that stuff, Kirby? I mean, obviously, hands on, I'm sure you've learned over the last 16 years, but did you like read any books and, you know, go to any courses or anything like that to like learn this stuff? Well, like I said, I, I'm, I'm a sponge. You know, I, I, I ask a lot of questions. I, I follow people that are successful or I, I love working with people who know so much more than I know and learning from them and asking, you know, I probably sound like a four-year-old, you know, why, 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 you know, always asking, you know, why are you doing this? Why do you do that? And how does this work? You know, that type of thing, trial and error and just, um, and just learning, you know, that way. Uh, it's hard to figure out wastewater treatment plants and solutions to that and, and well water using YouTube. I mean, there's a, you know, there's some base knowledge you can get from that, but, you know, for the most part, you've just got to throw your boots on and be out there and, and, and watch how it's being done and, and, and talk try to, to replicate that. Yeah. Talk to people yeah. and, and try not to make the mistake, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Amen. I, I will say it says a lot about you. I don't think any other guest that I've interviewed, you know, has mentioned that they've, they've listened to 15 podcasts before doing the interview, you know, to research the format of the show. So I, uh, I appreciate those downloads, Kirby. Well, you've done a, you've done a nice job on your podcast. Congrats you. to you on having the, the system down and having the template. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Kirby, what are the most important things if you were going to invest passively into a mobile home park, you know, through a syndication or something like that, you know, what are the most important things you would look out for, uh, you know, to protect your investment? I mean, I, you know, Andrew, obviously it'd be the, the track record and the integrity and quality of the GP. Um, and again, it, it's, it's sort of a no brainer, but it's amazing how many people fail that test. Um, is it the real, you know, how realistic is, it? you know, is, you know, the projections that they're showing, is it real? Uh, you know, and then, you know, what's your other alternatives? you know, relative to self-storage, relative to boat and RV storage, relative to RV parks, relative to multifamily or single family, right, you know, right now, relative to T-bills and CDs, you know, we're parking some of our dry powder in, you know, CDs and, um, and T-bill and treasuries, you know, with the interest rates the way they are. So I think as, as, as GPs or as operate syndicators now, the, the thing, your competition now is, you know, or the treasuries, you know, that's, yeah. that's a compelling argument investing in treasuries, quite frankly, right oh, now. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you. And it hasn't yeah. been this way. What in 20 years, maybe more than most that. of us. Yeah. In fact, I, I don't, I've never had treasuries as my competitor, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and I've been around a few years, but it's been a long time since um, there were alternatives to uh, to active, actively getting in the market. Totally agree with you. You mentioned the projections and are they real? Are they achievable? Uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, most operators, if I was looking to invest with them and they told me, yeah, we're going to buy this park and we're going to bring in 80 homes this year and they'll all be occupied by the end of the year. You know, I'd probably question that. I'd be like, really? Do you have the resources to do that? But you're doing it every day. So what what is an achievable infill number in a given year, you know, year one after you buy a park, you know, 
for you guys or for the average, you know, investor mobile home park operator out there? Well, generally, I don't know what's achievable and what's realistic. Andrew, gosh, that's um, by market, you know, I'm sure, you know, obviously a more hot market is going to have absorption higher. You know, I think if we looked at it, be we'd be hard pressed to look at any deal that had less than 25 to 40 opportunities to infill. You know, we need to bring in, you know, 25 to 40 homes to to make the deal viable uh, just because of scale. And I think, um, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, it's 120 empty lot fill-in project, you know, I certainly would want to see, not just on paper, but visually, you know, past performance. You know, somebody told me a long time ago, Excel, you know, the program Excel has, has written more fiction than any author. Okay. (laughs) So I, I I think, you know, you you need to be careful looking at projections and looking at, you know, what the GP puts on paper, Uh, go kick the tires, go kick the dirt, you know, go look at the property. And that takes a lot of effort from an LP. You know, that's, that's, um, that is really good advice. I, I, and even, you can even hire someone on on Craigslist for a hundred bucks to go do a drive-through video of a, of a park, you know, that, that the operator owns. And just see what that looks like. How does properties they currently own look? That's such great advice, Kirby. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of liars out there, Andrew. I mean, it's 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 too bad, and you know, there's a lot of uh, blue sky being sold. And um, I I think you know, not only looking on paper at past performance, but like you said, hire somebody from Craigslist, or if it's close enough, you know, take a day trip or a weekend trip yourself, and you know you know, hit the dirt and, and look at the property and see, you know, enter, you know, talk to a few residents and see if, um, you know, is it, is it the real deal? Is it something that you would feel proud of putting your money into? And that's the other thing is pride of ownership. You know, we talk a lot about pride of ownership as it pertains to TOH versus POH. You know, that's, that's always way up there on the list of why you want to have a TOH community is because of that pride of ownership. Well, the same thing holds true with with the park ownership. You know, is the pride of ownership there? And you know, there's there's six rules that that we run by, three rules that we apply to the residents, and three that we apply to our employees. And one of the things that we always refer to our our tenants as residents, not tenants. Okay, we show them the utmost respect. But the three rules, three basic guidelines that we have uh, for the residents is that you keep your yard clean, you be a good neighbor, and you pay your rent on time. And if you can do those three things, you're golden. We'll take care of everything else. You know, you do those three things. And then as far as our team is concerned, everybody on our team knows that they are empowered to do what is necessary to get the job done as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral. As long as it meets those three criteria, legal, ethical, and moral, then they are free to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Now, if they make a mistake along the way, then we've got their back, but we're going to coach them and instruct them not to make that mistake again. You know, we've already invested the money in them in that mistake. Why would we terminate them and get rid of them for making that mistake after we've already paid for the mistake? You know, let's learn from it and move forward and not make it again. 
But again, as long as it's legal, ethical, or moral, um, they are free to do what is necessary to get the problem solved. That's great, Kirby. Thank you for sharing that, that with us there. Yep. Uh, Kirby, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Uh, one that we just completed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Andrew, I think, you know, obviously, you know, the perfect mobile home park, you know, it's going to be direct build utilities all, all underground, you know, mm. um, not along the coast. Uh, I, I love the coast. Um, yeah, I don't like sometimes the hurricane and the weather that that hits the coast. So not along the coast, uh, direct build utilities, preferably underground, um, good solid economy, you know, the, in the in the area. Uh, you cannot fix the market. You know, mm. I can fix TOHs. I have I have taken some part some park owned homes and renovated them and salvaged them and other people would have thought they should have gone to the landfill. Um, there's a lot of things that you can fix. There's a lot of problems that you can fix, but one problem you can't fix is demand. You know, if the market's not there, it's not there. So we do run multiple test ads before we go into a market. Um, that's extremely important. If the test ads fail us, we'll do it, we'll do a second, maybe even a third test ad if we really like the market but if it keeps failing the test ads it's you got to cut your losses before you have any just don't go there yeah no that's that's great advice you mentioned the underground utilities i'm curious why why you prefer those there's two reasons one is is weather you know it's nice and and then aesthetics is the other you know it's nice to have all of your power lines underground you go into a community everything's underground it's just it's a clean. lot cleaner. Yeah. It's easier from a maintenance point of view. It's easier from a, a landscaping, the mowing of the yard. You know, you don't have to mow around the poles. In extreme weather, uh, you don't have to worry about lines coming down. In ice, you don't have to worry about the, the lines break. I know you're Orlando area, so, you know, not too much of a problem down there for you. But, you know, you do have communities in freezing areas. And, you know, with those, that ice those lines breaking, you know, that can cause problems. It's just, it, there's less problems if the utilities are, are all underground. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice right there. Thank you. The economy and the, you know, it's a big question mark. The interest rates are, are high right now. Um, I say that, you know, who knows, this is 2023. They, they're high compared to the last 10 years. But, you know. Let's, Andrew, let's, let's hope interest rates are high right now. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, how do you see this all playing out with, you know, how has your investing strategy changed giving the higher, you know, the higher interest rates and, uh, you know, possible recession? I have no idea where it's going and only a, only a fool would try to predict where it's going, I think. Um, in terms of pivoting and, and being nimble, um, you know, we are, um, number one, paying attention to what we do. And making sure that what we do is the best in class and, and let that speak for itself. We're starting to work with a few more GPs than we worked with in the past. Typically, we would work with maybe just a couple because they had the bandwidth to bring in the kind of volume that I'm talking about. Now, with interest rates going the way they are, we're seeing that bandwidth being narrowed a little bit. 
Uh, so if we want to keep our pace up that we're doing, then we're going to need to uh, expand the universe of GPs that we work with. So, you know, we find ourselves now, you know, working with other uh, GPs that share the same values that we share and are on board with the, the mission and, and the direction that we want to go. So I think that's that's how we're pivoting and adjusting is is not to to crawl away, not to not to hide and not to to ret retract, but to expand and to get out there and get ourselves known. Awesome. Kirby, what is the biggest threat uh, in your eyes to mobile home park investing? The highest and best use and regulatory. You regulatory know, that, stuff. Yeah, regulatory and highest and best use. You know, that would be, you know, those are the two. We've made it through, for the most part, we've made it through the supply chain hiccups. That's not to say that we won't have other supply chain hiccups. I think, you know, our industry did an incredible job, a stand-up job of showing resiliency and um, stress testing during the, the the last few years. You know, I was very pleased to see our thesis play out that good times are bad. You know, we are uh, a resilient industry. Uh, so that's nice to see. And, and, and I got to tell a little you, bit about that, if you don't mind. Sorry. Yeah. Like during COVID, I mean, you guys are infilling, you know, renting homes like crazy. How, how, do, how did that look? Were you guys still able to fill homes and, and you know, get, stay on schedule with your, your absorption rates and everything? Absorption wasn't the problem. The, um, the supply chain issue, obviously, you know, was yeah. a hiccup that, that was difficult to, to ignore. Uh, so we did have, you know, those issues that, that impacted our, our performance, our results. On the flip side of that, the demand was even higher than ever before. And mm -hmm. as most operators know, your collections skyrocketed during that period of time. You know, I don't know of any operator who says their collections were worse during the COVID thing. Um, everybody's collections got better. Um, one thing, you know, I always stress, especially to our younger team members, is be trying to look beyond the headlights, but, but look beyond the high beams of the, of the car. You know, when you're driving down the road at night, you can see what's in front of you what the lights show, but anticipate what's beyond those lights, because that's where the danger works, is what's beyond the lights. And so early on during the, the helicopter money and, and everybody paying their rent, you know, no problems, we cautioned our residents and we worked with them to build up a fund in advance, um, basically credits, you know, pay in advance. You've got the money coming in, you know, it's not going to last forever. Now, obviously, it fell on deaf ears, you know, with some people. Other people took the advice and and prepaid, you know, um, some months in advance, especially those that were able to obtain some state assistance dollars. Some states offered subsidized housing or, you know, uh, rent checks. And for those people, we really encouraged them to continue to make, you know, their monthly payments, even though, you um, they got a, a, a lump sum or we got the lump sum, you know, from the state, you know, we still encourage them, even if they couldn't make the entire $450 a month lot rent, you know, pay a hundred a month, 
you know, pay something in advance because ultimately the state money is going to run out and you don't want to be all of a sudden one month, nine, nine months from now, you don't want to get a rent notice, yeah. you know, and, and you're not prepared for it. You're not ready. No, that's great advice. One other thing, I know you were in the business during the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. You know, how did it look like back then? And, and were there anything, any items that you took away from that, that, you know, impact how you invest today? Not really. You know, Andrew, I, I guess what you don't know sometimes, if you don't know it, ignorance sometimes can be bliss, I, I guess. And I didn't realize how bad it was because I hadn't been in this industry or this niche, you know, before. So I didn't realize how painful it was. So there, I guess there's some advantages to, to starting in a industry during a, a recession or a bad period of time, because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, people that maybe had it easier, you know, prior to 07, you know, they were wringing their hands and, and comparing 08 and 09 and 2010 to, to pre-recession. We just didn't know what we were supposed to be scared of. I and, and demand was there, right? Like you were, you well, had empty homes and you were filling them. So, yeah. And I think, yeah, we're not the smartest kids on the block, but you know, when you, if demand is there, demand can cure a lot of problems and low interest rates can cure a lot of problems. You yeah. can make a whole lot of mistakes with low interest rates. Um, and, and a lot of us did. And it's, it's when those rates start coming up that you, you realize, you know, how nice it was back then. Totally. Kirby, you've given us a lot of golden nuggets. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If, if any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you and learn more about the firm, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, obviously, you know, the internet, you know, the web, our website, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It tells a lot about our company. It's the firm mhp.com rather lengthy uh convoluted some you know usually have to spell it out a few times for people but it's the firm mhp.com you know that's the best place or via email you know kirby.horton at the firm.com you know those are the best ways you know of course social media you know we're our social media people hopefully have us plastered on uh instagram tiktok um all of these platforms that uh, that they understand that I don't, fortunately. And, uh, you know, so just hopefully if you do a Google search for the firm, um, we're going to show up on page one fairly, you know, high up. Awesome, Kirby. What's one last bit of important advice you would give an interested passive mobile home park investor before we sign off? A passive investor, due diligence, again, kick the dirt examine everything on paper, you know, look at the numbers, compare it to alternatives that are out there. And uh, if you have that opportunity to kick the dirt or, or hire somebody to go kick the dirt, absolutely, you know, look at past performance because past performance is indicative. It might not dictate, you know, future performance, but past performance is indicative of, of the quality of work that that GP has done. Totally. Kirby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Andrew, it's been a blast and uh, really enjoyed getting to know you and, and having breakfast last week. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks, Kirby. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram, at PassiveMHPInvesting, for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at PassiveMHPInvesting on Instagram. See you there.